share something real quick that the Lord has laid on my heart and from the Bible. Just go to Jonah chapter number four, if you would. Jonah chapter number four. This is one of the most interesting, in my opinion, one of the most interesting chapters in the entire Bible. The first time I read this chapter, when I was a, a, a young person, I really thought a page had been torn out of my Bible, because I'm like, where's the rest of the story? Because it ends in such a unique way, and we're actually going uh, to read that. We're going to begin in verse number 5, and give a little bit of background real quick, and then we'll just read uh, down through first. Uh, well, we'll just uh, start in verse 5 and read down through 11, but we'll kind of give the background as we go. Um, so let's uh, here in Jonah chapter number uh, four and ver- beginning in verse number five, the Bible says, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And we know Nineveh, he's been sent to Nineveh, went through the well, he's been through it all and he's already preached to Nineveh and Nineveh has had a revival. I mean, this is the most successful missionary in the history of mankind. I mean, he, he preaches an eight word sermon, just says eight words and this whole town comes to Christ, or they, they repent, and they, and, they, and they obey God. This should be a missionary on cloud nine. He should be as happy as they get. But we see that, that he goes out to the side of the city to mope. He's just he's sad about the, the outcome. He wanted God's judgment to rain down on this people because he was prejudiced against these people. He did not like them. He had good reason not to like him them. This would be, a, the, the comparison would be, when God said to Jonah, go, go to Nineveh, that would have been like God saying to a missionary on September 12th, 2001, to an American missionary, go to Al-Qaeda and tell them about, and tell them about God. It was just, this was a, a, he had been oppressed, his people had been oppressed by these people his whole life. He knew them as the enemy, nothing but savages. He wanted the judgment of God to come down on these people. And uh, so God was having to take him through some, uh, through some um, teaching lessons here in order to get him to, to a place where God wins the argument. Because God always wins the argument, and God's, God's heart will always win out. But we're going to see how that happens real quickly here. And uh, As we see that he goes out at the end of verse 5, he, he wanted to see what would become of the city. He hoped that they would turn their back on God in those 40 days and that God would end up destroying them anyways. That's why he's out there. He's waiting to see if maybe they'll mess up and then God will destroy them anyways. He's wanting to see some fireworks, but God has a a different plan in mind. He comes to him, and the Lord God prepared a gourd, in verse number 6, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So we see that Jonah is capable of pity for himself, and he's capable of pity for the gourd. He is capable of pity for a plan. We see that in verse 7, that God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a, prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. So you see, he feels sorry for himself. He feels sorry for the gourd. And then this is what God says to him in verse number 10. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, 
wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. See here that God ends the argument. He, there, there, he ends it in a question. And you almost say, okay, what's, what's the answer? Well, the answer, if you understand the question, the answer is within the question. Because in context, Jonah's having a problem here. He doesn't want these people to be saved. He says, these people have been so mean to me. They have, they have, they have persecuted my countrymen. I have a right to be angry at these people. So God shows him an illustration. He has this gourd grow up. And he knew that Jonah would, be, he would have pity on the gourd because Jonah already showed capability of having pity on himself. So he's capable of pity. I've met some, some people who say, ah, I don't get passionate about the things of God. I, I, don't, I don't really get because I'm just not a feely, feely kind of a touchy-feely kind of a guy. I worked with one guy who was that way. And, uh, but then he walked in one day after Adrian Peterson had broken his collarbone, collarbone and uh, he felt like his, his sooner, the Sooners, their season was over. And my goodness, was he throwing a pity, pity party that day. So I told him, I thought you weren't a touchy-feely guy, and he didn't want to hear it. But uh, even the touchy-feely guys, they have their things. The non-touchy-feely guys, they have their things that they're touchy-feely about. So, and that's what God's saying here. You, you, it's not that you can't have pity. It's just that your priorities need to get right. You need to understand my heart. Your heart isn't where my heart is. So God showed him you can have pity. You can have pity on something as insignificant as a plant that grew up to, to shade you. And it wasn't even like it was his only source of shade because he's got a booth. He went out there and built himself a house. And then the gourd came up over the house. So it was just kind of at backup protection. And he's thankful. Oh, and then it dies. And, he, and now he's just mad. Even though he still has shade. He's just mad. He's just having a pity party of, of, the, of, of, epic, of epic proportions here. And, he's just, and he, he doesn't understand why God just won't let him have his way. And then God tells him, he says, thou hast had pity on the gourd. He said, I see that you've had pity on this gourd. You didn't do a single thing to make it come up, and you didn't do a single thing. You haven't worked for it at all, and you're able to have pity. And then he tells him this, and then he says, he says listen, Jonah, don't you think... I have a plan for these people in Nineveh. I have a plan for their future. You're thinking about the present, and that's really what it comes down to, is that Jonah was focused on the present. All he could see were those people who for years had been raiding and pillaging his, his countrymen. But then God points it out in the, very last ver- in the very last part of verse 11. He says, Should not I spare Nineveh that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. The point here he's making, he says, do you realize there are 120,000 people in Nineveh that don't know their right hand from their left hand? And some people like to spiritualize that and say, okay, there are 120,000 people, they just don't know right from wrong. But that's not, it's, it's, he's talking about literally people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. You say, well, how do you know that? Because he talks about the cattle afterwards. If God's doing some kind of spiritual allegory here, He's not going to talk about cows. I don't know how you put cows into the allegory if, if you're going for it now. It's just not. God says, listen, there are cattle there. If you can have pity on the gourd, surely you can have pity on the cows. If I, if I rain fire down from heaven on that city, the cows are going to die too. And if you can have pity for the gourd, you can have pity for the cows. But then if you think about it, what, what literally does it mean if, if there are 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand? You know, who among society doesn't know their right hand from the left hand? It's the innocent of us. It's the ones who haven't yet learned. They're not old enough to know which hand is my right hand, which hand is my left hand. 
And that's what God is saying here. He says, listen, Jonah, you had pity for the gourd. You didn't do anything to help it. You've had pity for the cattle. Or you could have pity for the cattle. But shouldn't you, shouldn't, just think about it. There are 120,000 people there, kids who are not yet old enough to know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know who you are. They don't know who your countryman is. They don't know, they are not yet old enough to understand hate and animosity. And they've done nothing to you. But he's, but he's, under, he's telling them, listen, you didn't do anything for the gourd, but I fashioned each and every one of those little kids with a, with a personal, eternal soul of their own. And God did all the work to bring them to the point where they are. And Jonah's having a pity party over there because those adults have hurt me and they've offended me and they've done horrible things and that may be true. But he says, listen, if you can't have pity on the wicked people, which really, honestly, you should have had pity on all, on all of them regardless. But he says, if you can't have pity on the, uh, on the wicked ones, then think about the kids. They've done nothing for you. And they're going to grow up to be just like their parents unless something is done. And that is what God sent him to do. It wasn't necessarily to redeem the adults, but God had a plan for their future. God, when he sent Jonah to Nineveh, wasn't thinking about the, the evil men of Nineveh. He was thinking of the kids who couldn't even tell their right hand from their left hand because they were just so innocent. They hadn't learned about the wickedness of the world yet. A lot of, when we first went to Russia, we were, my dad, well, he, was, he was ridiculed for going to Russia. He said, no, there are enemies. There were a lot of people on deputation in the early 90s that they don't, there are, there are people who need Jesus here in, Russia, in America. Why are you going to Russia? There are enemies. And there was still that, that sentiment in the, in the early 90s. And I kind of even picked up that sentiment, especially when I got over there. And, I, you know, I, I was beat up by Russian kids. We were, there, were, there were a lot of good Russian people, but there were a lot of bad ones. And I, I would find myself saying, well, these are Russian, these are just Russian jerks, you know, that are being mean to me. But then one day I, I realized that, you know, with the... the, the God just showed it to me in a, in a very dramatic way. I was out, I was going outside, and sure enough, I was seeing more drunks on the side of the road. And I, I just realized this: the Russian, they they just love the, the there's just drunkards everywhere. And I was just had really down on Russia Day, is what I was having. I was about 12 years old, and I'm walking around seeing, seeing these drunks. I'm like, why did God send us here? Why did God send my dad here? These people, they're just going to keep drinking. They're just going to keep. There's there's no point. They, they, they don't really deserve our life or my life as a teen, preteen to be spent here. Uh, why? And then one of my good friends, one of my best friends, she, she came out and she was, uh, she, we were talking and uh, she had a bruise. Her, her whole right side of her face was all bruised up. And usually she would tell us she had fallen down or whatnot. But today she, she was feeling open. She's like, I asked her, what happened to your face? And she said, well, my, my dad threw me across the room this morning. And I, I was just, man, I was, even, I was down on Russia before that. I was even more down on Russia at that point. It's like, all these drunkards, all these. And she's like, yeah. but as I'm going through this in my mind, she says, but I'm happy he did. And I thought, well, this is this weird. Now, that's not right. You shouldn't, she shouldn't be happy. And she told me, because it meant that he hadn't drunk himself to death last night. And it meant that my mom wouldn't have to cry herself to sleep for two or three months like my my next door neighbor has or my mom her my mom wouldn't have committed suicide like the next neighbor did and then my friend went to an orphanage because she no longer had any parents 
I'm glad my dad woke up this morning, even though he was mad and he was drunk. Because it means I don't have to go through. That means that I don't have to go through as bad as it could have been. And then that's when it hit me that, listen, if if I just continue to hate the sin and the people who are sinning, I'm never going to be, look, be able to look past that and see the collateral damage that, is being, that could be rescued, that, could, that God can do something about if I'll just let my heart go that next step and say, listen, even if I'm not willing to have pity on the people who are sinning, even if I can't look past that, help me to look at the people on the other side who are going to be impacted. If I never tell that father, that drunk father about Christ, and if I never put in the time and work with him, that, his daughter is never going to know anything different than that life of waking up every morning and getting thrown across the room and being happy about it. Because there will never be a change that these kids will be able to know, that this collateral damage will be able to know until we're able to have pity, not just on the gourd, not just on the cattle, but remember that we got to have pity on the kids. And for their sake, we got to be able to be willing to overlook some of the nastiness we see in society. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, just come tomorrow. I'm sick of this sinful world. But God, when he looks down, he's seeing all the kids who, if they just hear my name, if they would just hear the gospel and hear about me, you're about to have a vacation Bible school here. There's going to be some kids who have never heard that gospel. And because God doesn't, if God tarries and he doesn't come back till then, Lord willing, there will be some who call on his name as a result of that VBS. That if we had thrown in the towel earlier, we just said, Lord, come back tomorrow. God's thinking of those little guys. He's thinking of those ones who can't tell their right hand from their left hand. And as a result, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure each and every person hears the gospel because we weren't deserving to hear it. What right do we have to tell others that they're not deserving to hear it? And even if you can't come to that conclusion, realize that there are innocent kids all over the world who if the gospel is not brought to their country or to those people or to that sinful family, they're going to have no chance of it ever changing. (laughs) Have pity not just on the gourd, not just on the kids, but have pity on humanity. And that then you will have the heart that God was trying to give to Jonah here. I encourage you all to stay on your feet. We're just going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll turn it over to turn it over to pastor here our most gracious heavenly father again we thank you for your word for the truth that is contained in it especially in this chapter in this passage as we see your heart on full display before us all lord i i just pray that you would help us to have that heart to realize that lord even though we may not have done anything to cultivate this world that we live in now. Lord, in some ways we may be having a pity party for ourselves that we have to live in this sinful world. Lord, help us to realize that you have fashioned each and every person in this world. You have worked on them to make them an eternal soul. And help us to have pity. Help us to love them as you love them. Lord, help us to know that your heart is that each and every person in this world have a chance to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Pray that you would revive that heart in us and that we may continue to serve you with all that we have, that your name may be honored and glorified. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.